If you grabbed a, one of these engagement sheets today, you know that it simply says, this is exactly where we received this submission uh, for IRL addiction. There was no three-part question. There was no multiple kind of angles. It was one word, addiction. And uh, we felt compelled to talk about that today, this topic of addiction. Um, we, uh, as a, we began to look into this, there was lots of kind of preconceived ideas and notions about what that might mean for us, and then we began to expound on that topic. And so today what we hope to do is kind of begin the conversation through a couple of interviews and then expound that, uh, expand that conversation into the Word of God and what God's Word has to say about um, our addictions. So um, that's the, the prayer uh, today. I'm, I'm going to ask that you would pray with me that uh, everything that we do here this morning be honoring to God and that our own hearts and minds, where we're set right now, wherever you are, uh, would be honoring to God as well. So pray with me if you would. Um, Father God, we thank you so much for the chance to come here and worship you this morning. Uh, the songs were cries of our hearts, that we would come to your throne, uh, that we would um, depend upon your grace, that we would uh, need your Holy Spirit. And those are all things that we say now with our lips, our minds, our hearts, that we do need you to be present with us this morning. We pray, Father God, that as we spend some time now sharing our stories and also entering into your word and, and hearing what you have to say about uh, this issue of addiction, that it would be a Holy Spirit endeavor uh, that it would be a God-honoring endeavor, that it would be um, an endeavor that would bless us, your people, and that we would grow um, closer to you because of this time, closer to one another and closer to the truth. Uh, may, may we not be uh, uh, cowards and afraid of the truth, but embrace it wholly. May you help us to do that work, Father God. Whatever we need to lay down today, I pray we lay it down. Uh, whatever we need to listen to, we would listen to, and uh, that we might grow in you as uh, followers and believers in your son's name we pray this amen all right so we're gonna like I said do a couple interviews and then we're gonna get into the Word of God this morning so uh, this morning I wanted to ask and this is a God thing as well I'll tell a really quick story um, so a few weeks ago in the after the sermons over we have people to the back to pray with us and a few weeks ago someone came back and they said man I really feel compelled to share my testimony about three weeks ago I think it was and um, that was uh, brother Jeremy Palmer and so I'm gonna ask Jeremy to come up this morning because when he was coming to the back I said Let's pray about that because in a few weeks we're going to be talking about this issue of addiction. So he wanted to come this morning and share his story. So I'm going to invite him to come up and sit with me. Good morning, Jeremy. So you, were, you came back and you wanted to share your story. So I'm going to kind of give you the floor and maybe ask you some questions as you go, go okay. along here. Maybe introduce yourself real quick too. People don't all know you maybe. So why don't we do that first? Uh, most of you know. I'm Jeremy. Um, goofy, funny, loving. What you don't know about me is that I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Through the grace of God, I'm in recovery. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, addiction is not a life I recommend. Um, a little backstory: I started drinking when I was 16. Not very much, but I was drinking. And uh, when I turned 20, it got heavier. And within 11 years, I was drinking every day. Um, I was miserable, didn't have the light of God in my life, and I, although I knew who he was, I didn't really know him. And in life, we have these moments of clarity, and mine was December 13, 2012. And it was a normal day. I got up, I went to work, I decided I'd go to my friend's house, and I'd have a few beers. And. Uh, one led to another, led to another. Let's go to the bar and have fun. Let's go to the bar and get drunk. 
by the end of the night, I was in and out of a blackout. Remembering a little bit, not remembering much. And, uh, sending out of a blackout driving my truck home. And uh, by the grace of God, I drove my truck straight. By the grace of God, I made it home. But when I got home, I have a tendency to uh, let all my feelings out when I'm drunk. And uh, <clears throat> I let my feelings out towards my family. And uh, I don't remember much of it. I was in a blackout for most of it. All I remember is bits and pieces of violence that I was bringing to my family. And uh, the next morning I woke up, I felt remorse. Mm. Felt terrible. I just, I felt empty inside. And I decided then and there that I was gonna quit drinking. Now I'd said this before, I mean, I promised my family, my parents, I'll quit, I promise, I'm done. I can't do it no more, I promise, I promise, I promise. And I kept going back and back and back. And the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And that's what I was doing. As an addict and an alcoholic, I'm going back to the same thing I was doing and expecting a different result because I was directing my life. I wanted to do things my way. God gave us free will. I wanted to do it my way. And uh, my way didn't work. After that night, I quit drinking. I got depressed. I didn't leave my house except for to go to the hospital for six months. I was miserable. And I knew if I kept living that way, that I would, that I would go back to drinking or I would die. And if I wouldn't die by anybody else's hand, I was gonna die by mine because I didn't want to live like that anymore. And so, I was six months in. The first four months, I was headstrong to do it on my own. And about the sixth month, about the sixth month, I hit my knees. I looked up to God and I said, this is it. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> if you don't give me something, I'm going to kill myself. Because I don't want to go back to be, being a drunk. I don't want to hurt my family anymore. I remember my mom and dad ripping my shirts off my back to keep me from going to the bar. And uh, I just didn't want to hurt them anymore. But mostly I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I hit my knees. And the next day, for the first time in six months, I walked out of my house. I went to Walmart. Of all places to go, right? Everybody goes to Walmart. I didn't see anybody when I walked through those doors. The first person I ran into was a guy that I met in AA when I first tried to quit. And he gave me his number. And he told me about a new meeting. And he said, come. I said, all right. So I went. I hit the ground running. I had no other choice. What I was doing wasn't working. And it just so happens that this friend happened to be a believer in Christ. 
and he invited me to church. I said, all right, I'll go. And I started going to church every Sunday. And then I went to a thing called an Emmaus walk. And uh, that was the first time I ever got on fire for Christ. It was the first time I ever felt like I wanted to share his word and do this and that. And uh, I was all about it in church and I was all about it at Bible study, but I, I didn't open the Bible when I went home. And about two years later, I met my beautiful wife. No doubt in my mind, God led me to her. And uh, she said, why don't you come to family group? My family group wants to meet you. I said, what is family group? She's like, it's like a Bible study. <laughs> I said, ah, all right, I'll try it. I started going to family group once a week with her. And uh, it was over a year ago. And uh, they embraced me. For the first time in my life, people embraced me. I mean, that just that doesn't happen. You know, people don't love you. That in my mind, that's what I thought. People don't love you. And these people did. And they took me in. I was like, okay. I was just like, well, let's go to church. And I said, oh, we're going to church now, huh? I said, okay, I'll go to church. And Pastor Bill, the first day I walked in here, said, you're Jeremy. Oh, he's heard of me. Yeah. That's nice. And uh, God worked in my life. He worked in my life to get me to come to church. He worked in my life to introduce me to a woman that was very church-going. Um, thought I'd never be able to have a baby. Uh, he blessed me with a baby girl, gorgeous baby girl. Gosh, I'm going to be in trouble when she turns 16. But uh, he blessed me. I have no doubt in my mind that God's with me every day. You know, it's not, not just about him blessing me with the good things, but even the bad stuff that's happened in the course of a year. I lost my mom March 10th this year. And there ain't no doubt in my mind that God was there with me through the denial, the depression, and the anger. Because if he wouldn't have, there's no doubt in my mind I would have relapsed that day. All he wanted me to do was just give me, give, give him my problems so that he could direct my life. Mm -hmm. Something so simple that we overlook. And it's not until we hit our bottoms and drop to our knees that we really see what he wants us to do. Mm -hmm. I can say with a clear mind, that God answers prayers. He answered my prayers. He answered my prayer about my mom. It may not have been the prayer that I wanted answered, but he answered because my prayer was always, God, let her be out of pain, let her stop suffering. And he did that in his way. It's not the way I wanted, but it was his way. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful God's in my life now. 
and uh, without him none of this would be possible. So, um, I was looking through Facebook last night. I uh, ran upon a passage. Here, take it. Sorry. No, I got it. That really touched me. It was uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Boy, if I'd have known that 10 years ago. But God leads us where he wants us. When he wants us at that time. I went through what I went through to become the man I am today. And the man I am today is a very God-loving, good husband, hopefully, great father. All the things that I am today, I wouldn't have been when I was drinking. Yeah. And I have God to thank for that. Right on. That's awesome, man. So, um, I have questions, but my mind is kind of melted right now. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Um, what was the other passage you were sharing with me this morning as well? Do you remember what it was? It was in Ephesians. You don't it was have to. Ephesians. I've got it on my Bible. I've got a Bible on my phone. I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> That's right. Access. So, you know. Little one. Ephesians 5.18. That says. Oh, there you go. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. If I don't know that 11 years ago, so what are you? So that's kind of what I want to ask you about. So what are you finding? Because I know that you've been taking this journey for a while with us, and you've been kind of we've been growing in our relationship, and you've been sharing like things that God has in your heart. Mm -hmm. um, what do you find? How do you find that coming true? That idea of no longer being drunk on wine, but instead being filled with the Spirit. Like, have you had oh, God leading it's, you? It's a, it's a night and day difference. Night and day. When I was drinking, I was drinking because I, I had an emptiness in my heart. I was drinking to cover up. I was drinking to get rid of the bad. I was living in the past. With being filled with the Spirit, I no longer have to live in the past. I no longer have to drink to get rid of those memories because those memories are just what it says. They're in the past and God's giving you a chance to live your life now. Live your life right, live your life for, for Him. Yeah. You know? Right on. It's, it's, it's a night and day difference. I'm happier, more loving, funny. But three, three and a half years ago, <clears throat> one, when I was drinking, I probably never came to church. You know, I was afraid the walls would come crumbling down on me. But uh, I would have never looked at anybody in this room. I would have never given anybody a second thought. I would have brought up my own little, you know, you guys don't like me. I don't like you. You know, you guys believe in God, and I'm going through hell. So, you know, I had nothing, nothing in common with anybody. So I thought, you know. Right. <laughs> so I thought that's yeah. that's the wonder of an alcoholic mind. They always think they're right. It's never the case. 
Um, and then what do you, like, and so one of the things I've been seeing as well with that is like this kind of continue, or uh, I guess looking toward the future of what you think, like how God's moving. So it's yeah. not just about your past being gone. I, I've sensed in you like there's this idea, there's this possibilities. Like, and Yeah, I feel like, you know, there's, there's always possibility. I feel like God's always leading me in one way or another, you know. Sure. Um, this is funny that we're doing this on addiction on IRL because three weeks ago when I had that dream, and I told you, I said, man, I said, it feels like God's leading me to tell my testimony. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that we were going to be doing an IRL on addiction. Right. But it just so happened to be three weeks, and I mean, it, it was surreal. You know, when I, when I was drinking, when I was drugging, I... I picked up the Bible a couple times, you know, skimmed through it, didn't understand a word it said, didn't even know where to start. And uh, somebody in the family group told me, he said, pray. Pray before you open that book. So pray that God lifts the curtains off your eyes. And man, he did. Hmm. He lifted the curtains off my eyes. I read the Bible now with more clarity than I ever have. It was like a veil was lifted. It was like, here I am. You know? All you got to do is pray, get in the Word, live your life right. I'm not perfect. Nobody is. I sin every single day. But that's where Jesus comes in. The grace of God has given me a way to be saved. That's right. Every single day from every one of my sins. Mm. You know? And that's just what I look for every day. Just right. try to pray and get on my knees and God help me. It's all you can do. Right. Well, that's awesome, man. Anything else you want to, I want to pray for you and then we're going to have MJ come up. Anything else you want to share? God bless this church. <laughs> I love every one of you. Even the ones I don't know. Just wait, you'll get to know me. I'm goofy and fun. <laughs> By the way, the reason I was so in, in, uh, encouraged to meet you when I met you is because I knew you your to-be bride and uh, yeah, I was like, okay, who's this guy? <laughs> I'm glad you're a, a good man, yeah. so yeah. God's in it. <laughs> they should have been there for the marriage counseling. <laughs> that was a fun day. Yeah, no doubt. All right, cool. Well, hey, let's pray, and uh, thanks for sharing that, man. I appreciate it. Jeremy, I know it takes some courage to get up here and share it. I know, I, although I don't think we have green carpet and green, uh, <laughs> I think you said about green carpet in your dream, but oh well. <laughs> Give you a chance to do it, so. You know what? God be glory. The only thing I need is God. Yeah, God. right on. I didn't come up here to share my story just because it was my story. I came up here to share because I wanted to do something that people could understand and I wanted God to see that's why I married her. She's smart. Oh, that was your that was Stephanie over there yelling, okay. Yes, that was my right, wife. Cool. She's always telling me something. Hey, let's pray together. Would you join me in praying? Uh, Father God, I just give you thanks and praise for Jeremy and how you've moved in his life. Uh, he is but one story about what you're doing, and you are doing this in all of our lives at the same time, which is a miracle that you're drawing us together for our moment. Um, I thank you so much for his courage in coming to share. Uh, I thank you that this isn't the end, but the middle of a story, and that you will continue to do redemption work in his life. I thank you for his lovely bride and his lovely daughter and his family that you've given him to care for and uh, just love on and be witness to. May you be glorified as he continues to seek you. May you call him and cause him to become the man that you made him to be. Uh, we love him so much, but we know you love him more. We pray your greatest blessings upon him. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks, brother. So, so Jeremy did, that was all like legit, a couple weeks ago, came up to the back. And so we were like, that's cool. And um, for me, I was really wanting to get into this topic of addiction. And I don't know if you're like me, um, but I've, I, and this isn't to say better or worse. I swear, I swear as I stand here this morning, it's about I've not had that struggle. Like I've not had Jeremy's experience or story, you know. And so I was like, Lord, how do I get connected into what your word says about addiction? And that led us to um, go kind of IRL team here to broaden out the topic and to start to think about what it even means to be addicted. Um, Jeremy talked about alcohol and drugs in his own life and amongst other things, actually, he told me before service, um, Everything from Facebook to food is what I think he said to me before service, so we can be addicted to. So we wanted to ask um, MJ Stahl to come forward this morning as well to share with us. If Most of you know MJ. Um, she has been involved in something for a long time, which she and I think Gwen started, and maybe, I can't know, I don't know who else started it, but it was called the Women's Accountability Group. Um, and it was, uh, I'm going to ask her to come up and have a seat with me. Um, and it was to, well, you can explain what it was for when the WAG started. Um, basically, we started it because I needed help, and um, I am currently a food addict. Mm -hmm. I am currently a sugar addict. Mm -hmm. um, I love everything about food. I love the way it tastes. I love the way it feels in my mouth. I love everything. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, the greatest, uh, or the thing that I keep thinking about when I go to heaven is that banquet table. <laughs> and I won't have to worry that I'm eating won't be good for me because it won't be good for me. Right. But, uh, yeah, I am currently mm. an addict. Right on. And so we wanted to have you come up to share with us because we were, we, we, you know, you've gained over the time, and Dave is here. Praise God, Dave is here, right? Amen, right? Um, but you, between your own journey and your journey with your husband, you've learned tons about, you have all this knowledge that oh, we have. Yeah. And, it, and it doesn't make any difference how much knowledge you have about what's good for you, what's not good for you. It's what your desires are. Right. You know? Yeah. And this is something that we share. I mean, so I'm not saying, like, I didn't have you up, because this is something that all of a sudden for me, I was like, wow. Matter of fact, this came up from the IRL team, um, because not because of your struggle, but because, you know, you, you've been kind of outspoken about this need to right. kind of enter in this, this space and learn and grow as followers right. of Jesus, right. including how we eat. And um, what's been... Uh, so we were talking about that, and I, it was funny because the other night, whenever I talked to you about coming up and talking about this possibly, um, you, I don't know if you want to tell that story about... Well, my trouble is if I'm busy during the day, and I usually am busy during the day, I have no problem with food. It's when I sit down and relax in the evening that I think, what can I eat? And it can be right after supper, and I'll sit down in the living room, and I'll think, what can I eat? Hmm. It's just, it's not, I'm not hungry. I mean, it makes no sense. I'm not hungry. I'm not... I don't think I have an empty feeling that I'm trying to fill. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, I love food, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So, but um, Bill called, I guess it was about 8.30 Friday night, and uh, Dave's son and his family had just left. They came and had supper with us. We ate um, 6.30, you know, so it had been two, two and a half hours since we had eaten, and they had just left, and we were talking about this, and so then uh, Dave wanted to go to bed, and I can't go to bed earlier than 11 o'clock midnight or I just lay there awake so a lot of times I help him get to bed and then I come back out in the living room and I watch TV and I eat um, so because we had just talked I thought okay I'm not going to eat tonight 
So after drinking three bottles of water so that I wouldn't eat, um, I went to bed without eating that night. But I also got up twice to go to the bathroom at night, <laughs> and I woke up the next morning with a headache. So I told Bill this Saturday when, I, when we met at uh, Lily's graduation party. And he said, well, don't worry. He said, I ate enough for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said, that wasn't my intent because I ate that night too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That sugar, man. That, and what's so funny about this is so we start to think about maybe illicit drug use or alcohol use or things like this. But um, we were talking also about this idea that um, sugar. Sugar is just as addictive as cocaine. It affects the same brain chemicals that cocaine affects. Um, it gives you the same high. I don't really know that I, I've never done drugs. When I was in high school in the 70s, you know, marijuana was, everybody was doing it. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid that if I did it, I'd like it. So I figured if I didn't do it, I wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and whenever I tell people that, it's like, you didn't do any drugs. It's like, no, I didn't do any. Mm -hmm. But I, so I don't know what that high feels like. But I can imagine, I don't know that I really get a high from, I don't know, I just enjoy food. It does something to our minds, guess, though. It's yeah. definitely, it's about ingesting this thing. And yeah. there's so much crossover. So one, one other question I have for you is, so can you, Talk, walk us a little bit about what has been your experience thus far with integrating your faith with this constant kind of um, struggle you have. Like, how have you seen Jesus help? How have you seen the struggles? You obviously said it's still a real struggle for you. It's still a struggle. I, overall, I eat better than I used to as far as what I do eat. Um, still portion control is an issue. Mm -hmm. um, if it tastes good, I want more, mm -hmm. um, even if I'm not really, you know, hungry. Um, and, you know, just the support of the, the group that we had. Um, I think we met for almost two years um, before circumstances caused us not to be able to meet on a regular basis. But just the support of people that I know and, and things that, um, you know, we share with each other as far as, you know, what's good and what's bad. And, Unfortunately, it's quicker to grab a candy bar than it mm -hmm. is to make a salad. Yeah. And if I had both in front of me, I would probably pick the salad to eat. But, you know. That's because of discipline though, right? That's not your default mechanism. I mean, that's... No, I mean, I, you know, I would prefer to eat healthy food, but it's quicker to grab something. Gotcha. Is, you know, the thing, so. Okay. How about uh, prayer? Does that enter into it at all? Have you... Have you I prayed about this? I prayed, you know, for help. Um, I just don't know. I don't know what, what else to do. Sure. And okay. uh, with current circumstances, it's, I don't know, I guess more of a, a comfort yeah. um, than, than it was before. Right on. Okay. But I do notice lately, I've, probably in the last 18 months, I've gained about 30 pounds. Mm -hmm. And I can tell on my knees that I can't, you know, walk as well, and they hurt, and my feet hurt, and mm. I just know that, you know, I've got to, to start losing again. So. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully we'll talk about it and see what yeah. God does together with all of us. So, anything else you want to share this morning? Mm. I'm compelled to share. Let's pray it again together uh, with MJ. Uh, Father God, we just thank you so much for MJ's courage in coming forward to share her story with us and uh, how the broad the scope is of these 
um, addictions that we face, and uh, we're not afraid to call them addictions, but yet we want them to be surrendered to you. We want um, you to teach us what you'd have us to know about them. Uh, we thank you so much for MJ and for Dave being here with us today. What a gift of life you've given us to celebrate together, and we give you thanks and praise for that. Not only that we get to be here, but the relationships that we have and how much we love each other and how much you've caused us to grow to love each other. Um, it's been just a great, amazing gift from your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father God, that you would uh, continue to bless the stalls, um, continue to... Uh, you know, uh, persevere in, uh, in their lives and their hearts and their minds and that um, they, like I and like us, would be fully surrendered to you and your will in this life. May you uh, show us while we're yet here the things that we ought to know and learn um, that when we, when we get to that heavenly banquet, we might know full well um, the treasure that we have in Jesus. May, may you be everything to us. Um, I thank you so much for uh, uh, her courage and her testimony this morning. I pray you would bless her abundantly her faithfulness displayed here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. And we could do more, right? I mean, that's not um, all of it. That's just some of it. I don't know what it is uh, for you. Um, I'm still discovering what it is for me. What does that mean? Um, I'm going to ask now that you pray with me one more time. We're going to get into the Word of God. I told you this morning, uh, I want you to open your Bible. If you brought a Bible, if you didn't, I want you to grab one on the chair or the road. Just go ahead and grab it now so you got it ready to go. And we're going to spend some time in God's Word, seeing what the Bible says about addiction and how we're called to, um, uh, to overcome it in Christ. So uh, I'm going to ask that you would pray with me first, that we would get wisdom from the Lord. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity now to spend some time in your Word. We pray that we would... Um, bring everything to you, and, and we would put, um, put it all before your cross, and we would let you um, show us what's important and what's not, and what we should take away and what we should leave, and would you uh, teach us by your Holy Spirit. Teach us in our heart that we know it's from you. It's not of man. It's not some worldly wisdom, but it's, it's straight uh, from your mouth for our good, and may you uh, be honored as your people respond in kind to the truth that you revealed to us this morning. We pray this. We pray this prayer in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and uh, turn uh, this morning to the book of Mark. Um, we're going to start here. This is going to be a, a kind of our core text today. Um, I didn't get the page numbers there, but it's the second gospel in the New Testament. So you'll want to turn there and find Mark chapter 3, verse 20. I'm going to read this story, and then we're going to talk through some of the things we find here. All right, Mark chapter 3, verse 20. This is what the word says. Then, G then Jesus entered a house and again gathered, a, a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him because they said he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince I'm sorry, I want to read that again. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. Now, verse 23. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. 
and then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all the sins and the blasphemies of men will be forgiven of them, but whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus said this because they said, he has an unclean spirit or an evil spirit. That's the word of the Lord. This is a, I love the Gospel of Mark. If you've never read the Bible before, can I encourage you to read the Gospel of Mark? Um, It's just a powerful, compact, um, accessible text to teach us the truth, the power, and the magnitude of the glory of Jesus and what he's come to do. But here in the Gospel of Mark, it so succinctly says um, that that Jesus begins to heal people and that begins to create a problem in the religious establishment. People have a problem with what Jesus is doing. So, so much so that they have a problem with what he's doing, they say, he must be doing this by some unclean spirit. There's no way this is a God thing, what he's doing. It can't be a God thing. And you know why they thought it couldn't be a God thing? Because they couldn't do it. They weren't able to do these things. They had never seen anything like this before. So when Jesus came on earth and began to walk amongst men and began to speak um, healing into people, being able to touch people and drive out demons, what the word says, then they got offended by that. Who, Who can do these things? No one can do these things. It must be the devil. That's what they said. I want you to recognize that as we get into this text this morning, that Jesus had entered into an epic, colossal battle with the enemy. And, and some of the stuff that we heard shared this morning here, you might go, ho-hum, I've heard it before, but it's an epic, colossal battle that Jesus is entering into in our lives. In the same way that, that we see here in the Gospel of Mark, he was waging war against the enemies of God, against demons and oppressors. And he tells us, he begins to teach these same Pharisees in parables as a matter of fact, I want you to understand something about this idea when it says, when Jesus says that, you know, um, a house divided against itself can't stand, and they said, by demons, he drives out demons. It's this idea that there are these little things that squander the resources, that waste away your life. This treasure, that's really, the, the word has this connotation that it's something that when Jesus says no one goes into the, a, a, a strong man's house and loots him, it's like he has all these treasures in jars and they come in and they begin to pour them out. That's what the idea of the word demon means. It just squanders the resources that God has given to us, the provisions that he has made. So it's this distributor of, of fortunes or it's this kind of, you know, uh, waster of the things that God has given us in our lives. Jesus teaches in verse 27, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties that strong man up. And that's the word that I began to kind of wrestle with this week is what, what does that um, take? Why is this idea of addiction um, so difficult for us? And this is what I found that addictions bind us up. They, they bind us up. But not only that, they kind of sneak into our lives, Right? Addictions don't come to the front door and knock and say, hey, I'm going to ruin your life. Let me in. They come like a thief is what it says, right? They're coming to steal and to waste. But they kind of sneak into the strong man's house and they bind us up. There's an idea in the text that Jesus seems to imply that if the strong man knew the intention of the thief, he would never let the thief in. That the strong man has the ability to defend his house. But that's not how addictions work. They come in quietly in small, little things. We begin to, you know, 
toy with it. And then before long, it has a hold of us. And then it gets bigger. And I, you don't know how much courage right, it takes to come up here today and talk about those things. Because by some, some point in our life, we are just completely bound up. And we say, you know, who can free me from this? Addictions also promise solutions they can't deliver in our lives. This idea of, of um, uh, binding up the strong man, you know, it, it comes in. Why would a strong man ever let a thief into his house to begin with? Well, there's something you're going to get out of it. And I believe that's, uh, that's part of the deception of what happens when we become addicted to um, whatever it is we're addicted to. That we let in a little bit because it's going to feel good, it's going to solve a problem, it's going to help me out just this once. And the next thing you know, there's a little more and a little more. Lest you think that, you know, we're kind of making this stuff up, talking about this breadth, this, this scale and scope of addiction in our world. Um, there are studies, tons and tons of studies on how our brains work and how God has made our minds to work and how we, 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 we well, always want more and more and more of these things. It's never enough. It consumes our minds and our thoughts. As a matter of fact, connecting this back to last week, or a few weeks ago, we were talking about this idea that, um, you know, uh, no other false gods before me. That they, they take on these seismic portions in our lives to the point that they threaten to even um, drown out the voice of God. Do you hear the voice of God in your time of need? Do you cry out to him? What, whatever your addictions are, they promise solutions they can't deliver. They end up binding us up. Some, some, uh, I wanted to go through a little list here, some addictions that we think about often. Most often we think about the poor person who's hooked on drugs, right? I mean, we've been doing anti-drug campaigns in this country for as long as I've been alive, you know. Um, or you think of an alcoholic who can't stop drinking, or you think about someone who's stealing medication. I just heard a report about nurses who have a tendency to steal the medications of their patients because they're addicted to prescription drugs. Are people like you and me meeting people in parking lots to sell Percocet? Medicaid or Medicare fraud. Stealing drugs because of the addiction to prescription drugs. You heard this morning addictions to food. But that's not the end of it. Or sugar, Right? You've heard already about addictions to sex, just a little more. Or addictions to media, a screen, a screen, a screen. Look, we put them in our sanctuaries these days. They're everywhere. You got one in your pocket. You got one in your car probably. All these things we become addicted to. We have to see more. We have to have more. Along those same lines, these ideas of false relationships through pornography, broken sexuality, or maybe it's even something that everyone says is good, like you're addicted to exercise. You, you, can't, you can't stop that. Or something even less tangible like control. Whew. I'm addicted to control. All these false gods that come up in our lives, and in the end, they bind us, the people of God. But the scripture and Jesus here doesn't just say, that they bind us up. That's not the totality of their mission in our life. In verse 27, it says, In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties him up. But then it says what? At that time, he can rob his house. 
See, the ultimate goal of an addiction in our life, and the reason it's a spiritual battle, and the reason that I believe that in Jesus' own life and ministry, he would cast out evil spirits, and he would drive out sickness, and he would heal the lame, and he would, you know, bind up the brokenhearted, is because fundamentally, it's, it's trying to steal what God says is good in our lives. Trying to rob us of the very treasure of life itself. So the goal is not just to bind us up, but to eventually rob us blind. I told you earlier that um, they, uh, they promise things they can't deliver, but then later on they take things that they don't belong to them. That's what happens in addiction. That's the progression. And we're going to see that in a moment. Um, I wanted to share with you uh, from the ESV, and I don't know if I put it up here on the screens. I think I did. Yeah, so this is interesting because in NIV it just it says what I read, you know. Um, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first has up the strong man, and then he can rob his house. But if you actually read it in NIV, it, or the ESV, it's closer to what the Greek says, which is no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods. So there's this realization in the text that the initial purpose of the visit is to steal from us. They can't. They can't ultimately steal from us until we're bound. See, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he can plunder that man's house. I just found that really interesting. So it's this idea that not only is the, is the goal um, to bind us and to cause us to be constricted. You might think that's the worst of addiction. I'm just stuck in and I can't get out of it. But that's not ultimately the worst. The worst is that once you're stuck in and you can't get out of it, then everything around you begins to fail. Everything around you begins to pay the price. The people that you love begin to pay the price because you're bound up in addiction. And this is all, all from the word this idea of being robbed is a time-oriented idea, okay? So there's this moment where it comes to the door and it knocks and, and, and it has no ability to rob us. But once we're bound at some point in the future, that's what the text says, you will be robbed. And maybe right now you're here today and you have your own pet addiction. You're like, you know what, Bill, I get what you're saying and I understand that these people have problems, but my addiction's under control and I, it hasn't cost me anything. And I would say the key word is yet. Because it doesn't say it'll be instantaneous. It says that at some point, you will be robbed in the future because you are bound up. And what's more, you'll be unable to defend yourself in this. At that time, this idea of this robbery, when it comes, it means to snatch suddenly or decisively. Why? Why would this be a spiritual battle in our lives? Why would something so trivial as, as food or, or medication or, or uh, media, why would it be such a, a powerful battle? Why, why would it rob us at all? What does it matter in the spiritual realm? I think that the text points toward the idea of it being about showing authority. Look at what I can do to this person. Look at the control that I have over them. And that then becomes our master. As a matter of fact, in the text, they said it's by Beelzebub that he drives out demons. And, and that word Beelzebub, if you've ever heard it before, you probably have heard it before you've been in church, right? But it's the same God of Baal. It's Baal-zebub. That's where the word comes from. After saying it a bunch, it can 
kind of congeal into one word, but it's Baal-zebub, and it's the false god. When, whenever the Old Testament prophet says you can't serve two gods, it's the same idea, worshiping, and that's the accusation of Jesus, that this is the spirit he's using to drive out these demons. And so all of a sudden, at some future date, whenever you said, I've been, I've been, I've, I'm under control, it's not affecting me, everything is gone. Everything that you cared for or loved or was worth having in life has been snatched right from your hands. That's the power of addiction in our life. I want to share with you a, a passage from the book of Hebrews now because... Um, it's important that while we recognize the uh, battle, the spiritual battle that's going on, and while we uh, understand that biblically, uh, that we don't lose hope. And this is going to be, I think I have it on the screens here. Um, let's see here. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 4. You can turn there if you want. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. This is what uh, we learn here. I'm going to start in 14. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the very Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, 15. Why should we hold firmly to our faith? Because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is Jesus. And that's what the word says, that at that moment we have help because Jesus understands um, our addictions. You see, that's kind of, and Jeremy alludes a little bit, but you don't think people in church are going to get it. You don't think, but that's, Jesus gets it. Jesus understands the struggle Jesus understands when you finally get on your knees and cry out to him. He gets that moment. We hear, see here in uh, Hebrews um, 14 that this is the kind of high priest that we serve, this one who's offering sacrifices to God on our behalf, who's offered himself on the cross. He understands the burdens, the struggles. And no matter how unbelievably out of control you feel in your addiction, or no matter how much you think your addiction's under control, Jesus understands where you are. I'm saying that as someone who's with you in this. He understands where I am. We don't have to be afraid that Jesus is going to find us out. He knows. As a matter of fact, if you heard what the Bible said, it says that he suffered the same things, the same temptations in every way. The word is panta. That means that each and every addiction is possible, each and every human struggle that we have, each and every feeling, whether it's emptiness or brokenness, whatever it is, he felt them all. He knew them all. And yet, he did so with no sin, which only he can do. Because for all of us, when we walk through those things, they, they, they lead us to sin, but not with Jesus. So Paul, or the, the author of Hebrews, is building a case here, and he says, so because of this, because we have a God who knows us, who understands us, because we have Jesus on the cross who died, that we could be free from these things, not to hide in darkness any longer, not to be terrified it will be found out, but to what? Go boldly into the throne of grace. That's what the scripture said. Did you hear it? Go boldly then to the throne of grace with all of your problems and all of your struggles and all of your burdens. Bring them to Jesus. If you're not with me yet, 
I'm going to read it to you. Let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace with confidence, boldness, assuredness. And that's not a confidence that we are good enough. That's not what it is. It's that this is the Savior who knows us, and I can bring all my junk to him. I can just show up with all my stuff and say, here I am. I am yours. That's the boldness that we have. The idea of confidence is not confidence in myself. I've gotten myself together. I look good. I act like I know what I'm doing. So now I can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm here for the final exam. That's not what it is at all. It's saying, Jesus, you know the test and you know I've failed, but I'm here by your mercy and grace and I need your help. That's the boldness. We're called to confidence, not in ourselves, but a confidence in who Jesus is. Your word says that you suffered all these things in the same ways, but you didn't sin. Lord, I've suffered these things, and I do sin. I need your help. I have confidence in who you are. The author says that we should go boldly with confidence to the throne of grace. That's the throne of charity where God in his great mercy pours it out on us people. We come to you because you're a just God, and we're in a broken world, and we need your help. And he pours it out so that we might receive mercy and that we might find grace, and that we might find help in our time of need. And I want to spend a minute talking about each one of those, that we might receive mercy. This is the place that we go to receive the covenant love that God promised to the Messiah. When we bring all of our stuff, you know, Jeremy said he can't believe when he came here that he found people, he went to family, he found people who loved him and accepted him and came here. But man, let me tell you something. This is a pale, because we are humans and we sin to the grace, the covenant promise of love that we receive when we come to Jesus. Like he loves us perfectly. I think all the way back to the Garden of Eden, you had Adam and Eve, and they sin, and they hide themselves in the bushes, and that is the work of the enemy, because God says, come into the light, come to me. Where have you gone, my people? Because he knows us. You enter into that place where God's promises reign, where his loyalty is to you because of his namesake. He says, I gave my son that you might be saved. Come to me. Don't hide from me. That we might find mercy. The second thing is that we might find grace. And this idea of finding grace is finding favor or listen to the word joy or benefits or liberty or pleasure. And we talked about that. What, what are these things that tempt us to sin and yet there's pleasure forevermore at the right hand of God? Like we have this eternal promise of pleasure that we will find if we come to his throne of mercy. We'll, we'll find the place of rejoicing. We'll find the place of gladness in our hearts. We'll find the ailment to our wounds and our hurts, which is what so many of these, um, these uh, life wasters, these addictions or these demons use to control us. So we'll, we'll receive mercy and we'll find grace. But then the third is you'll get help in your time of need. You'll get help in your time of need if you come to the throne of charity, of grace in God. In that very moment when you cry out, the idea of getting that help in a time of need is a critical assistance that meets an urgent situation. It's the idea of someone throwing you a rope. It's the idea of someone jumping in the water to save you because you're drowning. It's the man, it's literally, the Greek literally means it's someone screaming for help and the person who is running toward the person screaming for help. It's not the person who's going to swim for the shore. It's the person who's not going to make it if someone doesn't save them. 
And the author of Hebrews says, in that place at the mercy seat, you say, God, help me. I cannot do this. And at that moment, you get a rope. You get a rescuer. You get a covenant promise. This is our high priest. So to deal with our addictions, we need to approach his throne of grace with confidence and boldness in Jesus' name. And I just encourage you, like, if right now you think about that, like, what is that thing in your life that's just got a whole too much of a hole in you? And do you have the courage and boldness to say, in Jesus' name, I'm going to believe that you're going to bring me through that. I need you to show me the way through this. I need you to rescue me from this. I would encourage you to think about that and be honest. And I'm not talking about, you know, like in your real life where you really live. Risk it. Believe in Jesus' name. Something else that I want to share with you, and this is the co- a core principle, a practice that we can, we can use is the practice of putting off or putting on principle, okay? And I want you to be thinking about that as well. So the first, we come to the throne of Christ and we say, help us with this. And then I want to talk about this idea of the putting off and putting on principle. Because there's this reality in Christ that, and I know some of you don't have the language for it yet, but it's this idea that we are made new in Jesus' name. That we are, the old is gone and the new has come. This comes from the uh, book of Ephesians. So if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 24, this is what the word says. You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. This is these kind of desires, these sensualities, these lusts of our heart. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. I just want to take a minute here and talk about two things, right? You did not come to know Christ, that's the anointing of God, in that way that we would chase after our, our, um, our own desires. That's not how we came to know Jesus, It was more of God, less of us. More of him, less of the things that we've always done in this life. And Paul says that here. In this anointing in God, you did not come to know God by pursuing more of your flesh. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the what? Truth, the truth that is found in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. This is in verse 22, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what I would call the put off, put on principle, okay? And I didn't make this up. Someone shared this with me. And I'm like, wow, right? That's what it says. With the help of God that we must do these three. There's three steps here that we have to do. I want to walk through those real quick. The first is to put off the old self. That means our old habits, the things that we used to do. And many of us have done that. You know, I've heard that this morning. You know, I I said a thousand times, I'm not going to do that again. But then we go back and we do that again. So you put that off. But the reason that doesn't work for so many folks is because you put it off and don't do anything else. You just stop this. We can think of really, like, you know, innocuous things. You think, um, well, you know, I, I, I can't stop smoking. I'm going to stop smoking. And you, and you do. You stop smoking for a while. But this idea, this principle that's found in Scripture is that if you don't begin to do something in place of that smoking, it will come back. As a matter of fact, Jesus says if you clean out the house and you don't put something in there, seven times worse things are going to come back into the house. That's what the Word says, Right? You remove one demon, you clean the house, but you put nothing in that house, nothing, nothing's living in that house, then when that demon's going to come back, and he's going to bring seven of his buddies with him. 
The put off, put on principle says that we should put off these old ways. I want to talk about just that idea for a minute with you. I'm just going to find it here. Put off your old self. Put off what? Your former way of life, the way you've always done things. Because why? You're new in Christ. You put off these old things, these old thought patterns, these old beliefs. And I'll tell you, this is the battle. I've been a believer for a while. This is the battle is to stop thinking in, your, in our corruptedness. And I'm trying to, my mind is still stuck in the past. And I've got to put those things off. Put off that old way of life. Put off that old way of thinking, that old way of living, that old way of coping why? Because it's being corrupted by its own deceitful desires. That was broken. As a matter of fact, what Paul's saying here is, if that stuff was working, you wouldn't have needed Jesus to begin with. If your old ways had done just fine, you wouldn't know Jesus. You wouldn't need Jesus. But they aren't. You didn't come to know Christ in this way. You knew the truth. So put off the old stuff. It's being corrupted by its own deceitful desires. The second step then is what? Be made new in the renewing of your minds, right? There's a great passage in Romans that I want to share with you. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, um, in view of God's mercy on you, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices that are what holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then he goes on to say, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, there it is again, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Same principle is found here in Ephesians, that we have to change the way we think. Take every thought captive, the word says. You were taught to put off the old things. By the way, isn't that great? Can I just say that it's great that you can learn this? You must learn it. It's something we have to do. You were taught that you must put off the old things. To be made new, that's a passive statement. To be made new by the, the um, attitude of your minds or the refreshing of your mind. And then the third step is to uh, put on the new self, the new person created to be like God in true righteousness and true holiness. We find ourselves then renewed in the spirit and then choosing to put on this new life in Christ. And there's no other way to say that, but, to, to, but it means we must do that. We must recognize that. We must live in that space. Now maybe that, like me, you know, maybe you're like me, so this is the put off, put on principle. Maybe that feels weird because you go, wait, so this is up to me now? You know, I thought that this was about Jesus and this is about me now. I have to put off these things and put on these things. And what about, you know, what about Jesus? The idea is that as those who know him and those who believe in him, we would, we would do these things in obedience to him. We would not continue to live. As a matter of fact, what's so crazy, and we talked about this for a long time, I'm talking years at Family Bible Church, we can choose as believers in Christ to live in sin. It's not honoring to God and it's not good for us. But we can choose it and be miserable Christians. Instead, let's put off the old things and let our minds be renewed. That's right, I'm new in Christ. And then put on this new life that we have in Jesus. Adopt it as our own. Begin to walk around in it. I'm going to close by going back to the very first place that we started, which is in Matthew, or in Mark chapter um, uh, 3. This is what struck me, right? (laughs) 
Matthew chapter 3, verse 20 says this. Then Jesus entered the house, right? Um, because you see, well, all this is, what we're saying about all this is that Jesus is the strong man. Jesus is the strong man. The reason it was so offensive that Jesus is driving out demons because he's calling out this battle, this war cry, that this is not going to stand any longer, that there is a more powerful person that exists, that loves his people, than can be found in all the world. And this includes Beelzebub or Satan or demons or addictions. Jesus is the strong man. As a matter of fact, in a very strange way, this text is kind of flipped around because it's Jesus who's entered the house of sinners to drive out demons in his Father's name. He's the strong man. I would say that the reason this was so controversial, and maybe the reason that we so cling to our own addictions is because we believe that there's no greater authority that can speak over them in our lives, but that's not true. Jesus can. Jesus can bind the enemy. Jesus can loot the house of all its treasure. Jesus can bring us into his kingdom. And we gotta believe that. We have to let him in. We have to believe that he is more powerful. The reason this was such a controversial thing is because Jesus was binding up Satan and robbing him blind. And he can do the same for you and for me. I'm gonna invite um, our band to come up as we respond. I'm gonna invite our prayer team to go to the back room and uh, back hall here. And I'm gonna invite you to consider maybe how these things are working in your life for real. Um, I don't know today if, uh, if you feel like, hey man, none of that stuff, you know. What, what are those places where the enemy has a stronghold, you know? What are the places that, that we need to cry out to God? Not as a sign of weakness, but a sign of faith that we say, God, I'm just believing this today. I believe that you didn't create me for this kind of brokenness, this kind of sin. I pray that by the Holy Spirit's leading and the power of Jesus' name, we would have courage to come and admit those things. I'm going to invite you as, uh, as I pray um, to consider if you should respond. Please pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, we've come here to your house, to your house, the strong man's house, where no one can snatch us from your hands. And we, we just know that's true today, Father God. And yet we know that we are uh, sinners and broken and a mess. Our lives are not all good. And we have those areas where the enemy has claimed us, that he has no right to claim us, Father God. Today, we, we just believe in Jesus' name that we'll be free from those burdens, those sins, that, and that you will be with us in those struggles, that we can ultimately grow and have confidence in you. And today, Father God, for my friends gathered, I pray, and for myself as well, that you would bring to mind those areas of our lives that we need to surrender over to you completely, that we would not be those who are cowering in the bushes, afraid you will find us out, but those who are running to you, who have paid the ultimate price that we could be free that we would come to you because Jesus is enough and that his word is enough and your promise for your people is enough and we believe it, that we receive your mercy and your grace. So if, if you move in people's hearts today, I pray that they would have the courage to just walk to the back and pray, that they would have um, enough of belief in you that you would bring about these, um, the salvation, Father, in this time and that we can grow to be more like you. May you do your work, Father God. May you be glorified as we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth and to seek you all of our days. May you be glorified, Lord Jesus Christ, through us responding to your word today. Amen.